Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad that you guys are at church. Yeah, okay, good, yeah. Man, this is incredible. Uh, We have an audience, the Bridge Goldsboro, that responds. I may need you guys to teach my campus a few lessons. Uh, I see a lot of you that I know, some of you that I don't. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Andrew, and I am the campus pastor at our Mount Olive campus. Uh, We are one church with three locations, and I just want to say right now, um, that location, that campus, we, we just celebrated one year of ministry this past Sunday. Yeah, thank you so much. I want to just say that would not have been possible without you. Uh, This campus um, just poured in to our campus. This campus and the Princeton campus uh, did so much to send people to lift us up in prayer. And so I am not silly. A great degree of our success is owed to you. And so as the campus pastor of that campus, I just want to say thank you to you. Let me tell you a little bit about what God is doing at our Mount Olive campus Uh, We've been doing it one year, and you may know this already, but we're a portable campus. And so we go in, and we set everything up, and then we have church, and then we tear it all back down. And at first, that really scared me because, well, that's a lot of work. But, um, man, God has just brought so many incredible people on that team. And uh, the thing that I was nervous about isn't this how God works? The thing that I was nervous about has turned in, has come to be one of the greatest blessings because there is such a teamwork and a camaraderie, and so God is working there. Also, want to share with you a few stats. In one year's time, over the past year, we have seen 27 people give their heart to Jesus just at that campus. Can we give it up for that? Hey, I'm telling you, if you, if, we can't get excited about that. Something is wrong because that's what we do, what we do for. And so uh, seen 27 people give their heart to Jesus. We've seen nine people go public with their faith and uh, be water baptized. And man, God is just on the move at the Mount Olive campus. I could take a lot more of your time and tell you stuff, but I won't do that. But I just want to again say thank you. Well, I am excited to be here with you tonight, and I'm happy you're here. I was talking with somebody out in the foyer, and they said, they said, Pastor Andrew, man, I'm just so busy. Life is so crazy. Isn't it that way for all of us? Does anybody here feel like, no, I'm not busy. I'm good. Anybody? Okay, I want to give you some of my to-do list. I want to give you some of my to-do list, and some of these other people in here may want to seek you out after service. And so anyway, I just say, the fact that you've chosen to be here with us today at church, uh, man, we don't take that lightly, so thank you for being here. I want to address something that Pastor Gage talked about just a moment ago, and that is earlier this week on October 16th, Monday night, uh, Pastor Jim and Miss Kim uh, lost their son, Andrew. He was their oldest son. They've got three, and he was their oldest He began having some chest pains and uh, was taken to the emergency room and went into cardiac arrest and 
late that evening, that night, uh, they lost him. And so Pastor Gage said it well, uh, but we just want to lift that family up in prayer. And I wanted to take a moment to do that right now. I think we would be remiss if we didn't. So can we just pray for them? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, uh, I just, I, I know that they are, Pastor Jim and Miss Kim are feeling lost right now. And, and their other two boys are just, uh, they're dealing with the sting of losing a loved one. And so, God, our hearts ache for them. Our hearts ache for Emily, Andrew's wife, and for, her, for uh, the three children that they had together that now are going to grow up without their dad. Lord, we just lift up that family to you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come to them right now, where they are right now, and would begin ministering healing and comfort and peace. Your word tells us that your Holy Spirit is a comforter, that he brings peace in the midst of trouble. And so, Father, we pray for them wherever they are in this moment. You know where they are. And God, we pray that you would give them exactly what they need to face today. And God, we know that tomorrow you'll be faithful to give them what they need to face tomorrow. And so, Lord, our hearts and prayers just go out to them. We lift them up in the precious name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. <clears throat> so Pastor Ryan is also related to Andrew. And so that's why he's away this weekend and why you guys are seeing me today. But I'm excited uh, to be with you. We are right in the middle of a sermon series called Seasons. I am so pumped that I just nailed that. Sally sells seashells by the seashore. I've been doing that all day. Not really. We're in a sermon series called Seasons. And what we've been saying is that we often think about life in moments or think about life in minutes or hours or days or whatever it might be. But really, when we boil down our life, we live in seasons. Now, I'm not talking about weather seasons. Weather seasons can be wacky. It may be, it's fall, it may be 80 degrees in the fall. So weather seasons are crazy. But God has your life and my life where we go through certain seasons. And those seasons are designed to, uh, to be for our benefit. And we want to soak those seasons up and savor them. And then there are other seasons where God has designed for us to grow and mature and persevere through those seasons. And so during the remainder of this series, what we're going to do is we are going to look at specific seasons we go through and talk about how do we walk through those with our head held high, getting everything from that season that God wants us to get, and walking out of that season successfully so that we can help others who are going through it as well. Last week, we talked about the season of loneliness. And so I, I will tell you, I'm not going to do a big review. If you want any of the sermon notes that I preach from or that Pastor Ryan preaches from, uh, feel free. We've got uh, the website up there. Also, uh, we've, or not the website, but we've got my email address. Also, don't forget about the Bible app. If you want to go on the YouVersion Bible app, you can follow along with uh, my slides and my scriptures tonight. And then last but not least, don't forget about social media, guys. 
Don't forget, post on social media and then use that hashtag, whether it be a quote or whether it be just a check-in or a picture or whatever you want to do. Let your friends know how God's blessing you through the ministries of the bridge, okay? All right. Well, today we are talking about a different season. We're talking about a season of self-doubt. Season of self-doubt. And I don't know if it's because I used to be the children's pastor or if it's because I've got an almost three-year-old or what, but I have just noticed. Tell me if you guys have noticed this too. <laughs> Dorothy's already left. I've noticed that when kids are young, they think they can do anything. Tons of confidence. I am walking on the couch. The couch ends right here. I am going to continue. They just think, I can do whatever I want to do. It's amazing. I was, I was talking with a Bridge Kids volunteer the other day, and they said, Pastor Andrew, you, man, you'll never believe what this kid told me. A little kid named Emma, little girl, she's five, she's in preschool, and Emma is just drawing. And we have wonderful Bridge Kids volunteers here at our church. Can we just give it up right now for the Bridge Kids folks? They're in there right now teaching those kids, ministering to them, investing in them, changing nasty diapers, all that stuff so that we can be in here. Anyway, back to Emma. So Emma's in Bridge Kids. She's just kind of feverishly drawing. And so the preschool uh, teacher goes up to her and she says, Emma, baby, what are you doing? And she said, I'm drawing God. So the teacher smiled and she said, oh, that is so cute. Um, Emma, now you know nobody knows what God looks like, don't you, baby? She said, they're about to. You give me just a minute, you quit bothering me. I'm about to show you. Here's the deal. I love that confidence. And really, when you boil it down, that's what self-doubt is. It is a lack of confidence in yourself or your abilities. It's a lack of confidence in yourself or your abilities. Now, don't misunderstand me. There, it's good to have a reasonable estimation of yourself. It's good to have a reasonable estimation of your abilities all that's good. That helps you not do stuff you ought not do. That's why we grow from being those kids who just walk off the edge of couches. But it is entirely something different to be riddled with self-doubt. To be full of doubt and to just allow that to grip your life and to not be able to do what it is that God has called you to do because you're so full of doubt and wondering, can I do this? Should I? Am I capable? Heard a story recently about a defense lawyer. And uh, he was in trial. He's defending his client. And he knew, man, this doesn't look good. The evidence against my client is really, it, it's pretty substantial. But they hadn't found a body yet. And so that was kind of his silver bullet. That was the, ugh. They hadn't found a body. They can't prove anything without the body. And so on the day that the trial was concluding at closing arguments, the defense lawyer resorted to a little bit of a trick. He, he used a tactic that you don't often see. He said, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, <clears throat> 
I am pleased to tell you that the person that we all presumed dead during this trial is getting ready to walk through those courtroom doors in 60 seconds. And he pulled back his sleeve and he looked. And the jurors couldn't help themselves. They looked at that courtroom door. One second turned into two, turned into 30. Next thing you know, the minute was up. The lawyer looked at the jury with a little smile and he said, I'm sorry to have to do this to you today, but I, I told you a little bit of a story. We don't know where that person is, but because you looked at that door, because you believed in your heart that a person could come through that door, they may still be alive. Friends, we call that reasonable doubt. And so you have to let my client go. You have to render a verdict of not guilty because there is a chance. There is a reasonable doubt that my client even did this. The jury was gone. <coughs> Sorry about that. The jury was gone for less than five minutes to deliberate, and they came back. That is not a good sign. They came back. They rendered the, the verdict. Your Honor, we find the defendant guilty on all counts. The defense lawyer, he couldn't help himself. He rose up, pounded his hand on the table, and he said, Are you kidding me? You all looked at the door. He said, the foreman of the jury said, But your client didn't. He didn't have any doubt. Whoops, yeah, exactly. Here's the deal. It's not bad to have doubts. Doubts are actually good. When we doubt something, it causes us to test it out, to prove that it's real. And then when we answer our doubts, it causes us to hold even more closely that thing that we doubted because then it has stood up to the test of time. It's stood up to the test of scrutiny. So doubts are not bad. But when we're overwhelmed by self-doubt, can I do this? Should I? I don't know. That's when there becomes a problem. And so, church, I want to tell you that if you are facing a season of self-doubt right now, I would submit to you that that is one of the enemy's biggest tricks. I want to prove it to you. Look in Genesis. You don't have to go there. I'll just reference it. But the first question asked in all of Scripture was asked by Satan. And what did he say? That question was meant to sow seeds of, uh, of doubt in their minds. He said, <clears throat> Did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? No, we know that. If, if you want to write this down, it's in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. God never said that. What did God say? You must not eat from the one tree. But do you see how Satan turned that around and he makes us doubt? He makes us wonder, wait, what did God say? Did, 
am I doing something wrong? Am I okay to do this? Yeah, surely I... Because he is the father of lies. In John 8, 44, it tells us that very plainly. Satan is the father of lies. He's a liar. He's an accuser. And he is a proponent for doubt in your life. So what I want us to do tonight is I want us to look in the book of Exodus. We're going to be in, chapter, in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. So if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles, you can do that. And uh, we are going to be there, and we are going to look at the life of Moses. If you're new to the whole God, church, Jesus, Bible thing, let me tell you, Moses is an incredible man of God. Moses did some miraculous things. God used Moses in an amazing way. But I've, I've given Moses a title. Now, I, this is just a self-title, and nobody else calls him this, so I may be here on dangerous ground a little bit today. But uh, I, I want to refer to Moses tonight as the father of self-doubt. The father of self-doubt. Do you guys remember in school when you would learn about somebody and they had invented something or they had uh, furthered a work or they had done something, they had founded something, and they were the father of whatever it is? I want, I want to test your knowledge here today, okay? Anybody up for a little test? Okay, all right, good. Some of you. The participation rate has significantly declined since the introduction of the sermon. The father of modern physics. Anybody know who that is? Father of modern physics? Galileo. Man, awesome. Father of modern physics, Galileo. They get easier from here. Father of the United States, anybody got a guess? George Washington, we're on fire now. Father of basketball. James Naismith, exactly. And then the last one, father of self-doubt. Who is it? Give it to me. Moses. Now let me prove it to you. I hate for you just to uh, take my word for it. And I want to tell you, I don't call Moses this lightly, okay? I have a tremendous amount of respect for Moses. God used Moses uh, to do amazing things. I've already said that. But when we look at Exodus chapter 3 and 4, I don't see uh, a clearer example in all of Scripture of self-doubt. So let's get into it. We're in Exodus chapter 3. And in the beginning of that chapter... God calls Moses in to his service. God gives Moses a purpose. Moses is at Horeb, and in the distance, Moses sees a bush that's burning. Okay, whatever, no big deal. But the longer the day goes, minutes turn into hours, and this bush is still burning. So Moses goes over to check it out because this bush is on fire, but it doesn't burn up because God was in it. God was doing something miraculous, and God spoke to Moses that day at the burning bush. I want to show you what he said in verse 7. <clears throat> the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned for their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land, 
out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Read this next part with me. So now go, I am sending you. God said, go. Moses, I am sending you. I have a purpose for your life. I am giving you a calling right now. Go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses had a calling on his life. And what I want you to understand at this service today is that God has a call on your life as well. That's point number one. God has a call on your life. Now, when we think about calling, what do we often think? We often think of full-time pastors, full-time worship leaders, full-time missionaries. Pastor Andrew, are you trying to say that God calls all of us? Absolutely. Absolutely he does. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4, it says, The Lord has made everything for its purpose. That's what a calling is. God gives you a purpose. Here's what I want you to do for this season or, the, or your life. Here is my assignment for you. And we all have that. Now, I want to be very clear. For you, it may not be full-time ministry. It was for me. God spoke clearly to my heart what he wanted me to do. But for you here today, this calling may be, you may be a mechanic, and God has called you to be a Jesus-loving mechanic to those bunch of knuckleheads in that shop that you're in because they need some Jesus-loving people around them. Some of you, God's called you to be a hairstylist. God wants you to be a God-honoring, non-gossiping, ambassador of the king right there in that beauty shop and tell all those clients and tell all your co-workers about Jesus. It's not about getting everybody to full-time ministry. It's about blooming where you're planted and being an ambassador for Christ no matter where he's got you. Because there are people as hard as I will try and as long as I will preach. I want to give my life to this. There are some people that you have influence in their life right now. They'll never hear what I say. They're in your sphere of influence. And so, God has a calling on your life. Well, God has a calling on Moses' life as well. So let's get back to the scripture we're looking at. And I want to bring up verses 11 through 14 because what we see right here in these verses is a back and forth that is really fascinating to see kind of after the fact and from a third person, not in it viewpoint. In verse 11, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. 
Then Moses said, you see the back and forth? Moses said, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? And so God said, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Do you see that right there? Moses said, who am I? God said, I'll be with you. Moses said, suppose I go, what shall I tell them? Notice how he didn't say, okay, I'll go. He said, suppose I go. God says, tell them I am has sent you. Now, I won't read the rest of this chapter to you, but God takes a little bit different approach with Moses through the rest of chapter 3. You should go home and read it after service today. But when you see it, God is giving Moses a pep talk. And so if you'll just permit my imagination, I love sports. And so I see this as like a coach who rallies the troops in the locker room and says, this is what we got to do. Let's go. And God lays it all out for him. This is what's going to happen. Then I'll do this. Then you'll be here. I mean, read the rest of chapter 3. That's what it says. God lays it out for him. And so Moses, full of faith, like a player emerging from the player's tunnel, going out onto the field, he marches down to Egypt. He goes into Pharaoh's chambers, and he says, Let my people go. No, I'm just kidding. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that at all. He says in verse 1, the very next verse, after God gives this amazing pep talk, Moses answered, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? The Lord did not appear to you. Now, I'm reading that as if I am my two-and-a-half-year-old son. Because... Again, if you'll permit my imagination for just a moment, my son loves Paw Patrol. Every morning, I get him dressed, and then I've got to go get dressed so something has to, you know, occupy him. And so I have found, if any of you find yourself in the midst of a two-and-a-half-year-old, let me just tell you, there's an amazing babysitter that's absolutely free, Paw Patrol. He will sit on the couch... For hours, I don't know how long, I haven't tested it out, but yeah, for hours. Anyway, and so I have to come back, and what, every time I come back, he always says, uh, Mason, it's time to go to school. We do this every morning. You would think he would know by now what is about to happen. I emerge, I'm dressed, you know, ready to go. No! That is the standard response at my house Every morning, like clockwork, there is a meltdown. And so I, of course, hey, buddy, we got to go to school. Don't you want to go see your friends? Come on, let's go. His response, no, my watch, Paw Patrol. That's, a, that's how I'm imagining Moses in this moment. And I don't know if God didn't know this tactic, but I've found a tactic that works incredibly well and again, if you ever find yourself with a two-and-a-half-year-old, I just want to share it with you because you should try it. You just say, <clears throat> you got to kind of get some bass in your voice. Five, four, three. Ah! Turns it on me, he's ready to go. 
Because sometimes it's time out, sometimes it's a pop, but when you get to one, something bad's happening. So I'm just going to enjoy Paw Patrol from five all the way to three, and then i got to give myself two as like a buffer. Here's my point. Here's my Rabbit, what? Moses said, what if they don't believe me? And God... He could have gotten upset with him. He could have been like, are you kidding me? Dude, I'm answering all of your questions. But instead, God says, because God is so full of grace and mercy and love for us. He says, okay, Moses, what do you have in your hand? Moses says, I've got a rod. Okay, throw the rod down. Rod turns into a snake. He says, now pick the snake up by the tail. That's where God would have lost me at. But Moses does it. I'd have been out. But Moses does it, picks up the snake by the tail. It turns back into a rod. You know what? God's not done. He says, Moses, put your hand in your cloak. Puts it in, pulls it back out, white with leprosy. Said, now Moses, put your hand back in your cloak. Puts it back in, brings it back out. It's completely healed and whole, back to its original form. And then if those two signs weren't enough, God says, okay, Moses, now I want you to take some water, pour it out, and the water turned to blood. And I know, I know God gave these proofs, God gave these evidences so that Moses could do them in front of Pharaoh so that he would believe Uh, so that he would believe Moses was from God. I think that God wanted Moses to do them in front of the Israelites so they would know and they would have that assurance. But I wholeheartedly believe that God wanted to prove to Moses in that moment, man, you're right. You by yourself cannot do this. But with me on your side, I've got you. I have got you. I'll provide for you. And that is really, that's my number two thing I want you to see tonight is that God has equipped you for your calling. God has equipped you. Wherever God has called you for this season, God has equipped you to do what he's called you to do. Just like God gave Moses the evidences of the rod turning to the snake and the hand turning leprous and then back to whole and the water turning to blood, God equipped Moses. But Moses, of course, he's the father of self-doubt. In verse 10, he says, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. Can you imagine what God is thinking in this moment? Are you kidding me? And so, listen, I know God's ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so let me not impugn the character of God, but let me just say, can you imagine what you would be thinking in this moment and what I would be thinking in this moment? You know what? I thought I had the right guy. You're obviously not the right guy. Dude, I've, I've made a snake turn into a rod, or a rod to a snake. I've water in the blood. And you steal? Steal? But God doesn't do that. 
In verse 11, the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouth? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. God says, okay, you can't speak on your own. You're not good at at, uh, talking. You're not very eloquent. I'll give you the words. Yet again, God promises to equip Moses to do what he's called him to do. And the next verse is, I think, one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. Because the next verse says this. Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. God, I just, I know you're with me. I know you care about me. I know you can do all these miracles. I just don't know if I can do it. I'm scared. I'm afraid. I I don't believe in myself. I am full of self-doubt. And that leads me to my third point. Don't be derailed by your doubt. Don't be derailed by your doubt. Here's the deal. Doubts are going to come. Doubts will come. No matter what season you're in, no matter how good things are going, doubts will come. And when they do, we have a couple different responses that we can give. First, we can listen to them. I can listen to my doubts, and when I do, they grow. They grow, and they become stumbling blocks, and I miss out on opportunities. I don't do what it is God has called me to do because I've listened to those doubts. The second response is I can ignore them. I can brush them under the rug, I can put them in the corner, try not to focus on them, but I know they're always there. And because I know they're there, you think listening to your doubts makes them grow? Ignoring your doubts makes them huge. It causes them to grow exponentially. And church, I want to tell you here today, Both of those responses will derail you. You will be derailed by your doubts. The proper response and the best response, I hope you'll write this down in your notes. I hope you'll put it somewhere you can see it this week. The best response is to tell yourself the truth and act on that truth. Tell yourself the truth and act on that truth. You say, Pastor Andrew, I don't even know what the truth is anymore. I've been believing doubts so long. I've just, oh, how do I know what the right thing to do is? You lean into the source of all truth and all wisdom. You want to know what's true? Open the word of God. That is the source of all truth. You want to know what the source of all wisdom would say about your situation? Pray and ask God. When you come to God humbly, when you come to God and say, God, I want to do what it is you've called me to do, but I don't know if I can believe in myself. I don't know. 
God will show you what it is you should do. God will reveal those self-doubts to be what they are, tactics of the enemy, and God will help you understand what it is you're supposed to do. I know this because in John 8, 31 through 32, Jesus said, this is Jesus now, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you will cling to the truth, you won't be derailed by doubts. If you'll cling to the truth, the truth will set you free. Free to answer that calling. Free to live for the purpose God has made you for. Free to pursue God with your whole heart. Let me tell you how the story of Moses ends up, just in case you don't know. Ultimately, God allows Moses to bring Aaron into the situation, and Moses and Aaron lead uh, the Israelites, just like God said he wanted Moses to. They answer that call, and they lead them out of the slavery in Egypt, and Moses led those people for 40 years, and Moses led them to the door of the promised land. He didn't go in. That's a whole other story. But Moses uh, was ultimately successful in what God had called him to do. Why? Because God kept after him, and Moses didn't allow himself to be derailed by doubts. So I want to close this service by asking you three questions. What is it that God is calling you to? What is it that God is calling you to do? My hunch is that for most of us here today, we already know what we're called to do. But we just haven't felt like we could, or maybe we've tried, we've attempted, and we are really just on the edge of maybe even giving up. What is it that God's called you to do? Second question, what doubts have you been clinging to that are holding you back? What are you holding to? And then number three, will you seek out the truth from God and be set free? Because at the end of the day, we can cling to those doubts and be derailed. Or we can do like Jesus said and cling to the truth and be set free to pursue that calling. We will all go through seasons of self-doubt, but the duration in large part is up to us. And we get to determine how long that season is by the way we respond to it. So let me pray with you tonight. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, man, I'm not perfect. I think about times in my life where I have allowed self-doubt to derail me, where I have allowed just the, the tricks and tactics of the enemy to overwhelm me. And God, my prayer today for each and every person here is that they would learn, that we would all learn from the life of Moses and that we would get better. I believe wholeheartedly that we are living in the last days. I believe whatever we're going to do for you and for your kingdom, we better do quickly.
And so, God, you've got a purpose for each and every one of us. Help us to live that out. Full of faith, full of excitement, and full of courage. Not giving in to those feelings of self-doubt. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.